Father God, I just thank you for tonight, Father, and I thank you for this word, God. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Come and speak to us tonight, God, by your word, by your Holy Spirit, God. Reveal in us the things that you want in us, Father God, and just open up your word to us that we might know you better, know your ways, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're entering into a portion of scripture here, right? And this is the faith chapter. If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses one through seven, but you know, I want to know what God says faith is, not what somebody tells me faith is. I want to know what God looks at faith and what he says is good. What he says is faith. Okay. So we're going to read Hebrews 11, one through seven. It says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by it. The elders obtained a good testimony by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So here we have the essence of faith. Okay. What God says faith is, what saving faith entails. And I'm going to back up. If you go back to look at verse 38, it says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So this faith then is this fundamental principle of faith is uh, affirmed four times in scripture. Okay. In the Old Testament, it's spoken of by Habakkuk, and this is, verse 38 is specifically quoting Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. So in Habakkuk 2.4, we find it again in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and again here in Hebrews. So faith then is not a new principle. It's not a New Testament principle, okay? It has always drawn men into relationship with God. Throughout all of scripture, faith is governed, faith governs our relationship to God and our participation in the salvation provided through Jesus. We see that by grace, you are saved through faith. It is that faith that we participate in God's grace to bring salvation. And the person who perseveres in faith then will receive what God promises And the person then who shrinks back does so to his own destruction. This Greek word. Now, um, if you follow anything that I do, I like to, I like word studies. Okay. So this Greek word for faith means a moral conviction of religious truth or truthfulness. It's from the root word, which means to assent to evidence or authority by a reliance on 
having confidence in, trusting, yielding, and obeying. Now, that is different than what some people would tell you what faith is. Faith is not passive. It's an active an ongoing present force. It's not a passive past belief. And in the Greek, and this is one of the things that I love about studying um, the word of God, is that the Greek has different tenses than we do. And so when the Bible talks about faith, it is in a present participle form means it is the faith that you have now and the faith that keeps going. It's not an, it's not a passive faith. It's not a past belief in something. It's a faith that demonstrates a trust in God through all circumstances. It enables the believer to persevere and remain steadfastly loyal to God and his word at all times. Okay, faith, going back to verse one here, faith believes in spiritual realities. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, for we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for that which he sees? But if we hope for that, we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So faith is trusting in God's word when we can't see. It's when we can't see the outcome, right? And now we say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It doesn't take faith to believe that pine trees are green. I I can clearly see that pine trees are green. But if you were blind and I told you a pine tree was green, you would have to accept it by faith that I told you the pine tree was green. It takes faith to believe the words of scripture that proclaim God is my healer. Even when I don't experience healing, that's faith that God is my provider. Even when I don't have an income. That's faith. God is my deliverer even when I'm sitting behind bars. I don't see the I don't see the circumstance. I don't see the deliverance. But I don't have to believe it to see it because I know God's word is true. My faith is in God's word. My faith is in what God said. And going on to verse two, faith was the distinguishing characteristic of the Old Testament saints. It says, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. This means that the the quality of faith was which those Old Testament saints were distinguished. So he's saying those, the Old Testament saints were distinguished on the account of their faith in God. They were distinguished by that and they became the objects of God's favor and witnesses to him as being accepted by him for what for their faith. It is by faith in God and his word that we please God. This is not a new Testament principle. 
We like to think that, but it's not. It's out. It's all the way throughout scripture. And, and the writer of Hebrews is telling us this. He said, listen, the saving faith that's required of you has been what has been required of everybody since the beginning. Through faith, we have understanding. Going on to verse 3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay? So, we were not there when the world was formed. Anybody? (laughs) True. Thank you. Yeah, true or false. But by faith... We understand the world was void and God spoke the world into existence from nothing. If you don't believe in the creation account, you're probably not a Christian. Okay. We understand and obtain knowledge in two basic ways through our physical senses and natural reasoning. And then the knowledge about God and the spiritual realm that happens first on a spiritual level through a revelation of God's word and is understood through faith. And the Bible says the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. In 1 Corinthians it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So he's saying then that... The natural man, the man without Christ, the unregenerated unregenerated man cannot comprehend the things of God. Which is why we always say, when you're witnessing to somebody, the only revelation they can get is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It makes no sense arguing the word of God with somebody that does not have the spirit of God. They, they will not understand it. They can't, they, they can't even fathom it. Why? Because spiritual things are discerned by the spirit. And this includes creation. Only a renewed mind can comprehend such things. Okay. Just that, that means that the testimony of God's word is intrinsic to faith. The testimony of God's word is intrinsic to our faith. Genesis 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's it. The earth was without form. It was void. It was darkness, was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. As a Christian, that's what we believe. That there were, the, the earth was void, and God spoke everything into existence. He said, let there be light and there was light. And people say, well, how is that possible? He said, let there be light and there was light. Well, I don't believe that. He said, let there be light and there. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you about it. Do I understand it? Not necessarily. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but he's God and I am not. My faith is in the fact that God said it and it appeared. Well, how can that be? He's God and you are not. (laughs) 
Then we go on here, and there's three men listed, selected for special mention in the time in this time period from creation to the flood. Okay, so from creation to the flood, we've got Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Abel is commended as a true worshiper of God, a righteous man, and a testimony as the first martyr. Enoch walked with God in intimacy and was translated to another realm without dying. Noah believed God's word about the future, risked his life and reputation, moved with fear to build a boat before rain was even thought about. So let's read about Abel here. It says, by faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So it says, it was by reason of his faith that Abel offered to God a greater sacrifice than Cain. It was the faith of Abel, which was found lacking in Cain, that was the cause that Abel's sacrifice had a greater value than Cain's. In the case of Abel, the excellence of faith was illustrated in two particulars. It prompted him to offer a more richer, acceptable offering, and it found for him a place in God's regard even after his death. And if you've studied anything about the word of God, um, there's a lot of speculation and discussion surrounding why Abel's offering was accepted and why Cain's wasn't accepted. Was it the first fruits? But this right here, the writer tells us by the Holy Spirit that he offered a more excellent sacrifice because of his faith. So you can argue all day long about what he brought and what Cain brought. And the writer is telling you, it's because Abel brought his offering to God in faith. And, And Cain's was not accepted. So what does that say? Cain lacked the faith of his brother. And faith is way more than just a belief in God. Because that's what I think faith has come to be. I believe in God. It's a total reliance on the blood sacrifice of Jesus and a yielding to him as Lord as you obey his commands. Because we can bring an offering to God. You can worship God. You can serve people. But if you are lacking in biblical faith, then your offering fails in the same category as Cain's. It's unaccepted. Because it's not offered with faith. Romans 14, 23 says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatsoever is not from faith is sin. He's talking about offering foods, offering to idols. I don't want to get into that. I want to concentrate more on whatever is not from faith than is sin. So anything that we do for God that is not in faith to God, he said is sin. <clears throat> so if you're coming, if you're worshiping, if you're bringing an offering and you lacking the faith, he said, all of that you're doing is sin and it's unacceptable in my sight. Oh, it's interesting when you actually study the word. What what faith really is. Then we have Enoch. 
and verse five, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. It says Enoch walked with God and therefore it said that he pleased God. That is, he set God always before him. He thought, spoke, and acted as one that considered he was always under God's eye, and he made it his daily business to worship and serve him acceptably. And it says that by faith, Enoch was translated. Okay, that's the account of Enoch in Genesis, right? And that just means that God took him. And this translation is um, in a supernatural way. We often relate it to what we think the rapture will be, right? Is that God will just, as he took Elijah up. In the Genesis account, there is nothing inconsistent with the belief that Enoch was characterized by his faith, but it rather implies an expression that he walked with God. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So if he walked with God, he walked by faith. In Jude, it says of Enoch, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds with which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's a lot of ungodlies. So we see then from this that Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. He predicted the coming of the Lord to judgment and he lived in the firm belief of what was to occur in future times. The word translated here, I think I just said that it means that he was removed in extraordinary manner from the earth. He walked with God. This denotes a state of friendship between God and him and implies that his conduct was pleasing to God. And if you look at the age in which he lived, it was undoubtedly one of great wickedness, right? We're, we're, we're leading up to the flood and Enoch is Noah's, um, grandfather, great grandfather. So Enoch is Noah's great grandfather. And so this is that generation that became extremely wicked. And so Enoch He was the one, he said he was preaching of judgment to come. Before Noah was even told to build an ark. And it says that he was selected as the only one of that generation that he pleased God. Because when you, when you look at that account, there's name upon name upon name. And then Enoch walked with God. Literally, there's just name upon name upon name upon name. And I'm like, wow. And he gets the special mention that he pleased God. And it appears that he spent his life in publicly reproving a sinful generation and warning them of the approaching judgment. So he knew of the judgment. Why? Because the Lord must have told him. He preached there was a coming judgment. This, that was the wickedness which ultimately led to the universal flood that, that Noah then, who was raised up as a preacher to reprove a sinful generation. So we look at that, that was already beginning that genera- this generations of wickedness. 
And the Bible said that during the time of Noah that the men were so wicked. Interesting enough, the Bible says the end times will be like in the days of Noah. The wickedness of men will be as great in the days of Noah. So we look at this. Well, it could be said of you that you walked with God. First Thessalonians chapter four verses um, must be one through eight. It says, finally, then brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So he said, he, he's telling him, he's telling us, we're exhorting you how you ought to walk like Enoch and to please God for, you know, what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and do testify, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. So he said, if you're rejecting what I'm telling you, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting him. Next, we're going to go on to Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So we have then the third person mentioned here in scripture to whom the testimony was given that he was righteous. And so the apostle then of Hebrews brings him forward as a that third example of the power and effectiveness effectiveness of faith. Remember, he's talking about faith here. He's telling us what faith is. He's saying, this is what Abel did. And this is a faith. This is what Enoch did. This was by faith. This is what Noah did. This was by faith. So Noah here being warned of God of things not yet seen, not only of those future events that would take place, but of it was such a nature that no one had ever seen or heard of anything like them. At this time, no one had ever even heard of rain. The Bible says that at that time, the, 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 the ground came up and watered the earth. So they didn't even know what flooding was. So not only is the God telling him about the future, he's telling him of something he's never even heard before. That God was going to destroy the world by a flood and all the of all of its inhabitants. So this is something that is incredibly new to Noah. Not just what the future is going to hold, but that it holds something he's never even heard of before. So the command had two parts. It was a declaration of the purpose of God to destroy the whole world. And the second was a direction respecting the steps which Noah was to take for the preservation of his family from the impending ruin. So it was two parts and it had a twofold effect on Noah. Number one was fear. It said it produced a fear of him. And then in producing a fear of God, it produced obedience in building an ark according to God's direction. 
Noah, being moved with an awesome, that reverential fear, prepared an ark. And you think about this. He was amidst many insults, a profane and wicked man. It said that he preached for 120 years. Think about that. Think about what it would be like in a generation of people that were wicked, scoffing at you for preparing an ark. That they're like, what is a boat? What do we need a boat for? What is this rain that you speak of? Why are you doing this? And something like this can have been built without immense labor and cost. So it cost Noah to do this. And it said, Noah, move with fear, obeyed God. And this application, you think about this, who is our audience here? The writer is writing to these scattered believers that were in a time of testing. They were being uh, under the influence of, uh, they were being under the influence of the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, it was a very godless form of government that was coming down on everybody for everything, primarily. And then they were also receiving scoffing from the Jews. And so that's why there's so many warning in Hebrews of not to go back because the Hebrew believers at this point were like, we're, we're at least going to go back to our Jewish ways because there's people that will accept us in our Jewish ways. And the writer of Hebrews, and he's telling them, he said, listen, these people in faith, they did things in the midst of scoffers, in the midst of wicked generations, and they stood the test of time. And Second Peter 2, 4 through 5 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to preserve for judgment, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved only Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And during the time which the ark was built, Noah was a preacher of righteousness to the, to the people of that generation, calling them to repentance and warning them of the approaching destruction. And they remained impenitent. They refused to repent. They refused to get on the ark. They refused to be saved. If only this was an illustration of today's world. And it said Noah became an heir. uh, uh, He was a partaker of righteousness, which is by faith. And he was entitled to the rewards in a future and eternal world of which his temporary deliverance to the ark, although it was amazing, was only an emblem of the things that was to come. The faith of Noah is proposed of our imitation to assure us that those who believe and obey God shall be safe in the midst of a fallen world while the wicked shall be condemned and destroyed. So we see here then another example of faith and obedience working in conjunction. Faith and obedience are inseparable. This example of Noah displays that a faith, if not coupled with the fear of the Lord, which is a fear that if I do not obey him, I will suffer punishment. It's not saving faith. 
faith without, I mean, and that's, that's James's whole book of faith without works is dead. And, and it's why I read to you that word faith that in, in faith is included that word obey. And, and for some reason, the church has come to believe that obedience is legalism. And we're going to read more on here. The next verse and verse eight says by faith, Abraham obeyed. That's the first, that's the first thing it says in verse eight, Abraham obeyed. And, and I am, I can, I am going to unequivocally say that you do not have faith in God if you do not obey him. And you can call me legalistic. You can call me whatever you want. But when I read what saving faith looked like, it's obedience. In verse 6, it says, without faith, without this kind of faith that I'm talking about, it is impossible to please him impossible. That means it's not possible at all. There's no possibility whatsoever to please God if it's not done in this kind of faith. That's what he's telling you. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seeking to me sounds like an obedience thing. Without this kind of faith, a faith that yields to God as Lord and Savior, a faith that's moved with fear to obey, a faith that believes that God is and what he says is true and that he will do what he said he would do, we cannot please God. Not only is it impossible to please him, we can't do anything well-pleasing in his sight. We can't do any kind of religious service. In any kind of acceptable way, our prayers, our praise, our attendance on the word, any ordinances or any good works whatsoever. Because such that operate outside of faith are without Christ and without his spirit. We cannot not and we, we have neither right principles nor right motives. And for he comes to God. We must come to the throne of his grace to pray unto him, to implore his grace, to implore his mercy, to implore his help and assistance. We come to the house of God to worship, to serve him, and in order to enjoy his presence, to have communion with him. These things we come with clean hands and a pure heart, and they must be through Christ by faith. And we must believe that he is now this this right here in the greek is what i'm telling you where it says we don't just believe in god's existence right because the demons believe in god and tremble the bible says that that demons believe in god and they tremble they know who god is they know who jesus is but they're not saved they don't operate in any kind of faith so it's not just a believe in the existence of God. You know, you ask people, are you saved? No, I believe in God. I didn't ask if you believed in God. 
but we must believe in God as it is revealed in the word of God. We give faith gives testimony to God's word. This means that we believe in the Godhead. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God the Father is approached through Christ our mediator by the guidance and assistance of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the biblical character of God, that he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, and he can do for us beyond our thoughts and imaginations, that he is all-sufficient. And his grace is sufficient for us, that he is immutable in his purposes and covenant, that he is true, he is faithful in all his promises. He is the God of grace, love, and mercy. And we must believe in him not only as God of all creation, but as our covenant God and Father. Our faith is in the God of the Bible. Not the God that we make up in our head. And he is a rewarder. Of those who diligently seek him. Now this, this word right here in the Greek means to pay wages, to pay wages, to pay wages for services, good or bad. So when it says he's a rewarder, he says, I am going to reward you. I'm going to pay you back your wages for services that you have done, either good or bad. And it says he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them, seek him with our whole hearts and above everything else. God is a rewarder to those who seek him for himself. Where in Genesis 15, it says he is where he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I am your reward. I am your reward. And the author of Hebrews confirms his doctrine respecting the necessity and effectiveness of true saving faith. And he proves to this Hebrews that if they do not persevere in this kind of faith, it's because of their unbelief. Because true faith would certainly render them steadfast in their adherence to it, whatever difficulties they should have to encounter. So he says... If you turn back, if you fall away, it's because you don't really believe. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 8 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Do not let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he says, when we ask God, we can't even doubt when we ask God. He said, because if you don't ask in faith, you're not going to receive anything. Now, it's not faith in what you want God to do. I see that a lot. People have, they put their faith in faith or their faith in what they want God to do. Or their faith in what somebody else said, who God was to them. But not in what God says. 
And saving faith is a life of day in and day out consistency. It is walking without fainting. If you go back in verse 36, he said, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So he said, you have need of endurance, because after that, you'll receive that reward. And one of the biggest traps we fall into is the belief that if we have faith, God will surely lead us to success in this world. And we read things like that. Well, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, except for that reward is his presence. That reward is the final reward for finishing our race, for enduring till the end. That's the final reward. Now, are there blessings along the way? Yes, because God is a blesser. But our reward is God himself. And so often we pray and we want success in this world. We fall into that trap and we fall into the snares and lies of the enemy and we get discouraged because our faith was in a reward that we wanted on this earth. Not what he actually had promised us. Our reward is God himself. And one day by faith, we will be, we will be translated into his kingdom, either by life or by death. And our faith will be tested and tried. Faith must be tried. It must be. The Bible says that our faith will be purified like gold. So it has to be tried. You have to go through things. It has to be tested. And we are coming into a season where the church will experience the greatest persecution in all of history. Why do I believe this? Because the Bible says it is. The Bible says that the latter days will be the worst time in history for the persecution of the church. And and if you don't know that we're not living in the last days, then you're blind. Then you really don't know. You really don't know the word of God. You can't see what's going on around you. We are living in these last days. We are living in these last times and the, the, the Bible says that the enemy is going to weary the saints. He's going to weary us. Means there's a lot of things coming. And so if you haven't felt persecuted yet, just hold on. It's coming. And I don't know, I, I don't know how else to, to tell you <laughs> that it's coming. I believe it because the Bible says it. The Bible tells me it's coming. And so I just gotta buckle up and I gotta make sure that my faith is in God. My faith is in Christ, not in what I want him to do, not in my home, not in my job, not in anything else in this world. My faith is in Christ alone. And saving faith is not double-minded. James said that, right? He said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This word double-minded means someone of two spirits. He said, if you're double-minded, it means you, you have two spirits. And people are watching us to see how we respond. All the time. People are watching us. They're watching you. And they're seeing how you're responding right now to events going on in the world. They're watching how you respond to confusion. 
They was they was they watch how you respond to chaos. They they watch how you respond to the unknown. Are we responding in faith or are we responding in fear? Because the way we respond is going to show how big our God is. Either God is who he says he is or he's not. And if you're double-minded and your faith's not firm in who God says he is, you're going to be flip-flopped all over the place. Bible says don't be double-minded. Jesus is the head of the church, not the government. Not our health care, not the media. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he says, you have to endure temptation. So he, it's coming. That testing, the trials are coming. And he's saying, you have need of endurance. So endurance means you better eat right. You better exercise. You better take your vitamins. You better eat right. You better exercise. You better be praying. You better be reading your Bible. You better be fellowshipping with the brethren. You better be around the wise and not the foolish. Faith is not a one-time confession. It's an active and ongoing believing and obeying the word of God. It's active, it's ongoing, it's continuing. It's not, I I did this one time. I said something one time. It's continuance. By faith, I follow the Lord, I know his voice, and I obey his word. Amen? I must give you a moment to respond to the message. Russell, come up here and play a little bit. <clears throat> you know, and I always like to, uh, I always just like to give a chance to respond because, you know, the, the Lord will speak something to you and he'll drop something in your spirit. And if you don't address it, we usually leave and we forget. Okay. So if the Lord spoke to you about something, then just address it. If the Lord encouraged you tonight, then be encouraged. If the Lord warned you tonight, then be warned. If he reproved you tonight, then be reproved. Just receive it. Whatever the Lord was doing in you tonight, just receive it. If you feel like your faith has been shallow, ask the Lord to help you deepen it. Ask the Lord to help you deepen your commitment to him. The Lord says, if anybody lacks wisdom, just ask him and he'll give it. If you're lacking anything, you can ask the Lord and he will abundantly supply it to you. The Lord is on our side. He wants to help us through this. He will help us through this. We just have to trust him. If you don't know the Lord, 
you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you an opportunity tonight. The Bible says that there is no salvation without Jesus Christ. There is no other name whereby we must be saved. It is only through the blood of the Lamb that we can draw near to God that one day we'll be in heaven with him. And if you do not know with a full assurance and confidence that you've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, I just want you to raise your hand, just call out to him, ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and turn away from the world and turn towards him. Ask someone to pray with you. Start reading your Bible. Do what it says. Come to church. If you've been far away from the Lord, he's close. He's as close as just a cry. Just cry out to him. Say, Lord, I've been so far away from you. I want to come home. And he says, come home. Just come home. Come to yourself. Just leave where you're at. Leave what you're doing and run to the Lord. He is waiting with open arms. If you're online watching and anything pertain to you, you can just pray right there where you're at. The Lord is gracious and merciful to forgive us of all our sins, to wash us whiter than snow, make us new creations, and he will give us strength for the journey that we might endure to the end. Father God, I thank you for this word tonight, God. I thank you for the gift of grace in our life, Father God. Increase our faith, Father God. Deepen our faith in you, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Father, for all that you do for us. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.